0: Hello, microbe friends. I'm Justine Dees, and welcome to the Joyful Microbe Podcast. It's the show all about the microbes we encounter in our daily lives. Thank you so much for tuning in. I can't wait to share this show with you. Before we get into the episode, I want to say thank you. Thank you so much for listening. It truly means the world to me just to know that anybody listens to this podcast and enjoys it, takes something away from it, and learns to love microbes a little bit more. So that is the coolest thing to me. If you do like the podcast, it would be super helpful if you left a rating and a review on Apple or wherever you listen, because the more people that do that, it helps the podcast to get discovered by more people. So if you want to share this with other people, it helps a lot if you do the things like leaving a rating and a review. And so if you want to support me in some way, that would be an awesome, awesome way to do that. And also, if you want to connect on a regular basis with me, I send out a weekly newsletter. So you can go to my website at joyfulmicrobe.com slash newsletter and sign up there. And I send out info about when the podcast comes out new episodes and also when something new is coming up with Joyful Microbe and also some just fun stuff that I find online that I think will be helpful for you or um, activities that I find that are fun to do or just like something new that's happening in microbiology um, for example, I had a friend that did a, a wrote a comic book and I sent that out to everybody. So little things like that I will send out and um, share with everyone and just to spread some more of that microbe love. All right, so today I will be chatting with Dr. Jessica Satcher and this podcast episode is so so cool and so exciting and so interesting I really truly mean what I say when I'm excited to share this with you all right so let's imagine imagine the last time that you were sick and you needed antibiotics okay so now imagine that you took the antibiotic but then the infection didn't go away it didn't work and then the next antibiotic didn't work And then the next one didn't work. And then all of a sudden, you were at a place where there were no more antibiotics left. None of them worked. This happens. And although I've never experienced it personally, I think it would be absolutely terrifying. What would you do? I mean, I don't know. But... Recently, doctors have started using viruses, and I know that sounds creepy right now because of the pandemic, but just stay with me here. Okay, so there are these viruses called bacteriophages, or phages for short. They can kill bacteria. They're very specific to bacteria. And so doctors have started doing this thing called phage therapy, and it's actually saving people's lives. This is not a new thing but it's just something that we don't do much in the U.S. And so the way that doctors do this in the U.S. though is that they can access it only through special authorization through the FDA, but it is gaining popularity. And we'll talk about in the episode how in some countries this is actually the preferred treatment of choice. We'll get to that later though. So, on this podcast episode, I'm talking to Dr. Jessica Satcher, who is the co-founder of Phage Directory, an organization that connects doctors and patients to scientists that work with phages. Phage Directory helps simplify the process of finding this treatment, these phages, that certain patients desperately need for bacterial infections that have stopped responding to antibiotics. So this is such cool stuff. When antibiotics stop working, phages can cure the infections. It's amazing. Okay, so in this episode, I'm going to start out. We're going to talk about viruses because we have not talked about viruses yet on the podcast, so we're going to just do an introduction to viruses, and then we're going to move on to more specifically an introduction to phages, what they are what these viruses that infect bacteria are like, what they do, what shape they are, all that stuff. Then we talk about how you can actually see viruses because they are tiny. They are su- 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 super small. So um, how do you look at them? We're going to talk about that. And um, the fact that most viruses do not make us sick. How crazy is that? The ones that are the most popular, though, are the ones that make us sick. And so we it's easy to assume that most of them make us sick, but it's not true. So, and then what about phages? Could they ever make us sick? We'll talk about that. And what makes phages so specific to the bacteria, and they infect, this is such a cool part about phages, is that they are very specific all the way down not only to the species level, but down to the strain level of bacteria. And then we talk about phage therapy, how it works, what it is. And then Dr. Jessica Satcher, the co-founder of Phage Directory, tells us about how she started this amazing organization that helps connect doctors to scientists with phages. So that when doctors need phages, They can find people that actually study the phages that infect the bacteria that they need to get rid of. Lastly, there's a very cool at-home microbiology activity that Jessica found from a researcher on Twitter. So she actually went and tweeted about coming on the podcast, which was really cool, and... Dr. Maya Breitbart responded because she made this wrote this awesome paper uh, that details a really cool activity for elementary students or elementary school aged kids to do and it's a way to fish for phages or fish with phages and um so it's It seems like it would be really fun, and I love it. Um, All right. By the way, if you are interested in learning more about this topic of using microbes to heal infections, you can check out the episode right before this one, episode seven with Dr. Brian Klein, to learn about how companies are starting to figure out ways to treat infections with bacteria. Uh, (laughs) So not just viruses, but also bacteria. So hey. You know, this is amazing stuff. All right, let's get on into the interview. Jessica, thank you so much for coming on the Joyful Microbe podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. So you are a PhD microbiologist and the co-founder of Phage Directory, which is an organization that helps doctors and scientists use phages which are viruses that kill bacteria to treat bacterial infections when antibiotics don't work. Now, this will be the first time that we talk about viruses on the podcast. So I kind of want to take a step back before we even get into talking about phage directory and talk about viruses for a little bit and phages. So can you tell us first what viruses are? Yeah. Um, so viruses
1: um, are microbes, but they're I think of them as really, really small microbes. So if you think of a bacteria, viruses are a lot smaller than bacteria, and they're actually considered not living by a lot of microbiologists. They're just a piece of genetic code that's encased in a shell and that floats around like that. And so the virus is um, able to infect a cell. It has to infect a cell to kind of become alive. And so it's, it's different from another microbe that might be swimming around eating food by itself like a bacteria. Virus is, is just this piece of code that can um, infect a cell.
0: Okay. Okay. And so one example that we all know very well right now is SARS CoV-2. Yes. <laughs> the um <laughs> the pathogen causing the current pandemic. But what are some other examples of viruses that we encounter yeah. in our daily lives? Um, well, we probably have been
1: vaccinated against a lot of viruses. So that's like how a lot of people probably hear about them. Um mm-hmm. like Uh, measles virus, and there's, um, what else? Well, HIV would be caused by a virus. Um, Mm -hmm. We have, yeah, most of the viruses we hear about are really the bad ones. We don't want to get, like hepatitis. Mm -hmm. Those are caused by viruses. There's a hepatitis A virus, hepatitis B virus. So, yeah, usually it's not a friendly topic when you're talking, especially with COVID, the virus that causes that. So, unfortunately, I don't know if there's very many famous good virus examples, mm. actually, um, really
0: that most people would know about. Mm. That's really interesting. It's it's so sad because I feel like it's more amplified that um, we, we kind of think of microbes as bad to begin with. Mm-hmm. And on this podcast, I try to emphasize that the majority of microbes are harmless and many are beneficial but then this thing seems to be even worse with viruses where they're very very scary and especially right now with the pandemic and that's understandable because that is scary yeah but um thankfully today we're actually going to talk about some viruses that are really cool and beneficial um (laughs) so (laughs) so can you tell us what phages are Yeah,
1: so when you think about viruses, there's all kinds of different ones, and we like to characterize them or classify them based on what they infect. So as I said before, like, uh, uh, or maybe I didn't really get on this, but um, so phages are a virus that infects bacteria, whereas the other viruses I was just talking about, they infect animal and people cells. Um, and so all of the viruses in the world that infect any kind of bacteria, we ca- we call them a bacteriophage. Um, but you might as well use that, We you know, we use the word synonymously, like virus, phage, bacteriophage. It's pretty much all the same thing. But if you're infecting a bacteria, you're a phage. If you're infecting a human, you're not a phage, you're a virus. So that's kind of how it goes.
0: Mm, okay. Now, are phages about the same size as other viruses, or does the size of viruses range? Yeah, good question. Um, the size definitely ranges.
1: Even within phages, there's smaller ones, bigger ones, there's like different shapes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the main things that varies among phages, at least, is the length of the tail. And this is kind of special with phages compared to like most of those human viruses we talked about, like coronavirus. Coronavirus mm-hmm. is, is just a ball, you know, You it does mm-hmm. not have a long tail. But phages usually have tails, so they kind of look like these little spiders or space mm-hmm. shuttles with a head and a long neck or tail and then little feet that come out the bottom of the tail. So that's mm-hmm. pretty cool and unique. And then the range of that, you know, it, it can be really long, like longer than the head. So it's like a little head with a super long tail, Um, Or you can have really cool shapes of of phages, I think especially the viruses that infect archaea, which aren't considered phages. I think they have really weird, cool shapes like lemon shape and stuff. But um, yeah, yeah. and in terms of how big um, compared to human viruses, I'm pretty sure human viruses are smaller generally than bacterial viruses, which is, I think, counterintuitive because bacteria are so much smaller than human cells. But the viruses, mm. it's like the reverse. And, and when it comes to like the genome content, like how much DNA, we think about like the size of the genome in a virus um, as one of the features, like human viruses have super tiny sizes of genomes and bacterial viruses will have huge ones. So I think that's weird and cool. And like the virus mm. I spent most of my PhD studying had 135 genes, whereas some human viruses only have like five genes. So pretty big differences there too.
0: Wow. Yeah. There's a huge diversity it sounds like in the different types of viruses that are out there and what they can take care of on their own with the genes that they have versus how much they rely on their host is what it sounds like. Yeah, totally. Mm, That's really interesting. Something that I've had people ask me before is, can you see a virus under the microscope? So, and I think, you know, they're usually meaning like, can I do this at home and see a virus under the microscope? So what kind of tools do you need to actually see a virus? Because we talked about how small they are. Yeah.
1: Uh, First of all, anyone who has a microscope at home, that is so cool. I keep hearing about that, that people (laughs) have them, and I did not have that as a kid. Um, So... You were super lucky, and that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can't usually see a virus or phage um, under the regular light microscope. Um, If it's labeled with some kind of fluorescent dye that you can do in a lab, you, I think, could see like a little speck, but it's... It's not something, that's not what we're using in the lab to see these things. We need to use an electron microscope, which I'm pretty sure no one has at home. <laughs> um, <laughs> those are like one of them per department of the whole university kind of thing, <clears throat> or one per university. But they're like a, mm. it's connected to a computer and you're looking at the computer screen and it's like a giant structure to to use it, um, this big microscope that... Sends electrons instead of light um, so that you're, you know, can see smaller stuff. And that's how we can see phages. And even that is, you know, pretty hard to get good at finding viruses under that kind of a microscope. So seeing them is hard. And Mm. um that's why what we use is um a plaque assay usually is kind of our best proxy or like best way of seeing them, like a shortcut. Um, so plaque assay would be when you grow bacteria on a petri dish and then you take the phage and you add that on top like dribble a little bit of droplets of the phage or what you think might have phage in in it and and then you grow that overnight and you'll see actually plaques form if the phage is able to eat or infect the bacteria so it'll be it'll be like a um, see-through zone where you have like bacteria growing everywhere it's super murky like you can't see through it Um, and, but when there's a plaque, you can see through it. So you see these little holes and that's how, you know, oh, we have a phage and, um, that's kind of our best shortcut.
0: Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad that you described how you do a plaque assay and we will have a picture of that to show everyone in the show notes as well. Um, so that's with phage that infect bacteria, but with um viruses that infect us, do you also do plaque ass- assays for that? And does that do you have to use different types of cells for that type of
1: assay? Yeah, good question. Um so I've personally never worked with a human virus or anything that's not a bacterial virus, but I'm told that they do plaque assays um also and I'm sure they use the same kind of microscopy as well. But um, you do have to use human or animal cells, um, instead of bacterial cells, of course, in your petri dish. So that means, um, you have to grow these cells. And, um, you might have heard like Gila cells, for example, like Henrietta Lacks. There's a book out, um, The Mortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, and they took tumor cells from this woman, I think in the fifties or so. And those cells were like the first time we could get human cells growing over and over and over again in the lab. So that would be the kind of cells that you could use in a plaque assay for a human virus. So it's pretty wild to think about mm.
0: that. Yeah. And that is a, a great book too. And I love we it. can yeah. link to that in the show notes. Um, so most of the time we do think of viruses as kind of being scary, but the majority, is it still true that the majority of viruses that are all that are out there, um, are not actually pathogens? Yes. Um,
1: that is definitely true. Um, the very small minority are actually pathogens and, um, but there's also a huge bias in what we know about viruses. Like the viruses we study, usually mm-hmm. people only get research funding if they're studying something that's a pathogen or something that harms us or harms mm-hmm. a plant or a pathogen of something important. So we really don't have a lot of information about um, the good viruses uh, out there. So, yeah, but definitely it's, I think I saw a stat that was like looking numerically at all the viruses, like it would statistically be essentially zero of them are pathogenic. So, you know, there's, Mm. it's just such a small fraction, but yeah, any, anything in the literature you're going to find is probably on a pathogen. So it's, it's, it's the opposite of what you would expect.
0: Okay. You mentioned viruses that infect archaea. So do they have a special name too?
1: Um, well, that is up for debate. So far as I've seen, there's been like perspective pieces written in journal mm-hmm. articles, like scientists will like put forth what they think and archaeal virus is something that they say or archaeal virus. Um, and then some people just say they're viruses. And then some people say archaeal phages. But definitely, I think there's always kind of the qualifier of archaeal or archaeal not mm-hmm. just calling them phages. Like a person definitely would think you're talking about bacteria if you say phage, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. Um. So we apparently have lots of phages because we have lots of bacteria. Mm-hmm. So um, do people <laughs> ever have to be afraid of phages ever infecting them? Or is it just, they're just super specific. They will never do that. And it would be, just be ridiculous to even think that.
1: <laughs> yeah, good question. And that is like one of the big questions, you know, especially when we talk about using phages therapeutically and like giving them to people as medicine, we need to know that question for sure. And so a lot mm-hmm. of the research has gone into understanding that. Um, but it's, you know, it's pretty hard to get a phage to infect a different species of bacteria, let alone a different completely like kingdom of um, mm. cell so I think most phage people you might ask phage scientists they would be like they would laugh and be like of course it can't infect a human cell <laughs> because it, it won't even infect like an e. coli phage won't infect like mm. another kind of e. coli or like it won't especially not like you know some other kind of bug or cell so they're not worried nobody's worried about that just from like a mechanistic like thinking about it theoretically but of course you know there's limits to like our imaginations obviously and so Mm. we need to test these things so people test it and what they have seen is um that phages there's this is kind of a new body of work but phages seem to be drifting into human cells in the body um and like drifting through them so like there's Mm. epithelial cells that line lots of parts of the body like the gut and um, you can see, like, if you do these experiments, you can show that phages are showing up inside these cells. So they're getting endocytosed, like they're getting eaten up by the, the cells. So it's not that they're infecting like they would uh, their own host. Like they're not injecting DNA and causing replication of themselves bursting out of the cell. They're, they're not, there's no evidence they can do that in a human cell, but they are coming in kind of as like, entire particles which you know mm. that's pretty interesting and like a lot of things get endocytosed in cells and and so you know people thought like maybe they're just eating them for food a food source cuz this is protein that's a food source but but it might be more than that and i think that's like a super active new area is like what are they doing in there and um mm. and i think they're going through, like they're not being processed inside the cell. They're like going through to the other side. And phages can apparently get through the blood-brain barrier too, people have shown, which is really wild because they're huge Mm -hmm. relative to the pores in the barrier. Like everyone talks about the blood-brain barrier being very impermeable to drugs and things. But if phages are getting through, it's like probably some active process. So I think Mm -hmm. there's more to it than just no. like they just could never you know, do anything to a human cell um because of this new body of research, but we certainly don't don't think they're going to infect in the same way, but they're still like an entity and they're going in there, so we have to figure mm. out what's going to happen after that.
0: So what is it about them that makes them so specific? Yes. Um
1: so this is the subject of my PhD project. I studied yeah. A lot about this, and so um, it's really a lot in the receptor binding proteins of a phage that makes it really specific to its host. And that means um, I was talking about the head, the tail, and like little feet at the end of the tail. Those feet or legs um, at the end of those picture like a spider and all of its legs. And at the tip of its little feet, there's things called receptor binding proteins, and those are just the the host specificity protein so there's like picture velcro or something like that's one side of the velcro and the other side is is all around the cell and so each phage knows which kind of cell it wants and so it it has the right kind of receptor binding protein to physically stick like stick to its cell and it's a physical interaction that you know kind of can you can think of a puzzle piece too like it has to fit right, and um, and if it doesn't, this, the phage will just float away. It won't mm-hmm. stick long enough to the cell to actually inject its DNA and have everything else happen. So it's it's mostly to do with these physical sticky receptors on the end that dictate the specificity.
0: Wow. So you mentioned that they won't infect... Other types of like the same species of bacteria. Mm-hmm. So so are they all the way to strain specific and not just species specific? Yes. And that is one of our big challenges with phage therapy too. It's
1: like, okay, a person has an infection. They have an E. coli infection. But yes, phages are specific at the strain level. So you can't wow. just say, oh, this is an E. coli phage. It'll infect all E. coli. It will not. It will infect some E. coli. And how do you know which ones? You have to test it in a lab. And we don't have a way to predict um, which one's going to work yet. Like we can't look at, you might think we could look at the genome sequence and be like, oh, this phage can probably infect, you know, this strain of bacteria. But that's still kind of a holy grail in the field to get to. We're not at is like being able to understand the code that, uh, you know, so we can predict which, which phage will infect which host without having to actually try it, do a plaque assay. Literally, that's what people are doing before phage therapy. They're doing plaque assays that I described earlier um, on the patient's actual bacteria and like, oh, there was a plaque. Cool. It looks like it works. Or like, no, there's no plaque. Let's not use this phage. So it's very
0: rudimentary still, but that's what we have right now. Wow. Okay. So now you've mentioned phage therapy a few times. So <laughs> let's kind of back up because this is such a cool concept. Um, just kind of give us an overview of what phage therapy is. And also, do we use it right now? And is it is it in, um, like, I'm in the U.S. Are we using, do you know if we're using it in the U.S.? Is it approved clinically and all of that? I'd be very curious yep. to hear about this.
1: Yeah. So phage therapy is kind of like what it might sound. Uh, You're using a phage as a therapy or as a medicine. So when we have bacteria that cause infections, normally we use antibiotics and we have for decades. Um, And that's because antibiotics kill bacteria, like non-discriminately pretty much. Like they, you know, use penicillin and it's probably going to work no matter what kind of bacteria. Um, At least that was the thinking when they discovered them. So Um, phages were were discovered before antibiotics and they were used in the same way so that it was just you know you have an infection we're going to use phage Um, people were getting sick from drinking water from a river they added phage to the river to try to get those bacteria to not cause disease anymore so the thinking of using phage as an antibiotic that's the way to think of it is just think of it as an antibiotic that's very much like a sniper version of an antibiotic, so mm-hmm. only going to kill certain kinds of bacteria. So um, so it's been in, I said it has been uh, was discovered and used before antibiotics. so that's it's almost or actually no, it's more than a hundred years now that we've been using phages that somebody in the world has been using them. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, antibiotics came along in around the 40s, uh, started being widely used and they work so much better. So nobody really used phages unless you weren't allowed to use antibiotics. or so there was, you know, you didn't have access. And so that was, um, that was actually Eastern Europe, Russia, the uh, former Soviet countries that were um, using phages as, instead of antibiotics, while the West started using antibiotics only. So for, for this whole time, People in Russia, people in the country of Georgia, which is not the state of Georgia, and I I lived in Georgia, the state, for a few years, so I always have to make this distinction, but (laughs) um, the country of Georgia uh, near Russia, and so they're kind of the hotspot for phage therapy, and they have been since, you know, for 90 years. And so, um, they, I think it was Stalin that like decided phages were important. And Hmm. so he was like making sure this was, they had a phage center and that's still in operation. And so they, um, they've been using them. They still do. A lot of people around the world will fly to Georgia to get phage therapy because they use it. Um, just like, you know, they don't wait till all antibiotics have failed to use it in the same way that others do. And, Uh, But there's a lot of other countries and um, a lot of Western countries lately that are using phages more and more. And it's kind of like been this renaissance where the West is realizing, oh, we have some problems with antibiotics. First, Mm -hmm. we have resistant bugs. And so we need something else. But second, we're realizing that our microbiome is actually important, as you probably discuss on this podcast. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. it's not cool to just torch everything um Mm -hmm. like just like we don't burn down the rainforest to get rid of some like problematic like beetle or something um we're realizing that oh we have a microbiome it's an organ like people consider it an organ it is really essential for health and we have all these bad things that happen when we start giving kids antibiotics that like never recover you know so there's there's problems with just torching all microbes. And so that's why the West is really seeing, oh, phages are very precise and they're more friendly to the ecosystem. What, what if we just get rid of the pathogen? So so that's kind of exciting that there's this renaissance for um, phage therapy. And um, in the US, you asked about that. Um, so US is using phages, but only on an experimental basis. And there's like this um, channel or pathway the FDA has, where if something, if you have um, a patient, if you're a doctor, your patient has nothing else that works. Like you've tried all standard of care, like um, for example, antibiotics, none of them work. Um, Then you can call the FDA. Literally you pick up the phone and say, I have a patient, they need something new and I have this solution. And they'll say, okay, just like fill out this paperwork you know, certify that it is going to be as safe as you can get it, that kind of thing. And so we do have this pathway. It's also called compassionate use or emergency uh, investigational new drug. There's lots of words that people use, but that's the path that phages have been used in the U.S. And so I think there's a few dozen um, uh, phage therapy cases in the U.S. that have happened in the last couple of years, but when I started phage directory in 2017, there had been pretty much like one case Mm. and that, that really started the whole new wave. Um, So I'll stop there, but yeah,
0: clearly this Mm. is my favorite topic. (laughs) Yeah. It's absolutely incredible. And I guess the way that I think about it is that it's like a super targeted antibiotic and most of our antibiotics are, like you said, non discriminately killing bacteria. And so they're called broad spectrum. Yep. And um, I think it's pretty few of our antibiotics used regularly that are narrow spectrum. Yeah. And, um, but like you said, the problem is that these antibiotics kill like almost everything. Mm-hmm. And, And it's good in some ways because you can immediately treat someone with the antibiotic and just kind of throw it at them. If something is really um, desperate and, but at the same time, then you end up with, you know, the whole microbiome being harmed or, you know, Mm -hmm. a big majority of the microbiome being harmed in the process. And, um, But at the same time, I think of them as easier too because like we have them, they're ready to go and you can treat somebody right away. But with phage therapy, um, it sounds like and, you know, I don't know exactly everything about it, but it sounds like it would be a little bit of a longer process unless you have these stocks of. Um, phage already ready to go. But um, I do want to talk about the process of finding phage that can actually treat patients. So how, how do you do that? And of course, phage directory is, gonna, is helping people with this process. So I kind of want to talk about the before and the after. So yep. introduce okay. phage therapy or phage directory and then tell us what it looked like before and after you started this. Yeah, sure. Um, So Phage Directory um, started in 2017.
1: um, And the before was really, I'll start with that, is that we saw somebody was using Twitter. It was actually Stephanie Strafty, um, who she's kind of famous in the phage world because she, uh, her husband had an infection and she um, was the one who figured out how to use phages and get her doctor, her husband's doctors on board, find researchers willing to donate phages and actually do phage therapy for her husband on this emergency mm-hmm. basis in 2016 in, in the U.S. And so um, that hadn't, as I mentioned, hadn't been a thing in the U.S. for for many decades. Many people have had decided at that point that phages were like you know, we're done with them. They're from a long time ago. We have better stuff now. We don't use phages. That's fringe, whatever Mm. kind of hokey stuff. But she, you know, convinced the doctors and she had helped that she was a virologist herself, but not a phage virologist, but she, she studied HIV. So, and she still does. Um, And so she kind of got this ball rolling. And so she had treated her husband successfully, and I knew about that just from the news. I just saw that. So I was following her on Twitter, and then there I am as a PhD student in 2017, um, and I see Stephanie tweeted something like, oh, we're looking for pages for another patient. And mm-hmm. um, this is, you know, this is a patient also in the U.S. in Pittsburgh, and she has nothing left. She is dying, and she has cystic fibrosis, so a lung uh, her lungs are chronically infected because of this genetic disease, cystic fibrosis. And so, like, she, she's going to die if she doesn't get phages because the antibiotics have stopped working. So, mm-hmm. and she was my age, too, you know. And it, um, so, I saw this tweet, and I was like, whoa. Like, I didn't, I did not realize that people were using phages um to do this here kind of, Mm. you know, I thought that was a one-off hearing about Stephanie's husband, but now she's trying to do it. And people were answering her tweet being like, oh, my lab can help. Sure. My lab can help too. And that's what also inspired um, this whole thing that we started is that like, oh, academic labs like mine, the one I was doing my PhD in were actually the ones answering her. And even some, a lab that was next door to me uh, at university of Alberta um, in Edmonton, they were one of the labs that that responded. So I was like, what, like, this is (sighs) very close to home. This is, this is, I don't know. And, and my co-founder who wasn't a co-founder at the time of Phage Directory, um, we knew each other from swing dancing. We were having coffee when I saw the (laughs) stream, and (laughs) like totally different backgrounds professionally. He's like, he's like a computer science person. He, he like does user experience design. He likes building online communities and systems mm. for people to help each other out, you know, like <laughs> crowdsourcing things like that. You can really, you know, the open source movement, um, that kind of stuff. That's the spirit of everything he'd been doing. And that's, um, that's kind of the culmination of us talking about this is what started page directory. Cause he was like, um, why <laughs> is this your system? And, I was like, it is not my system. Like, it is just, we don't have, I didn't think we had a system. It's just like a need that hasn't been solved yet. And he was like, well, I can easily make a website to like, you know, we can get researchers to sign up on it, list themselves as as labs that have phages. Um, and then people like Stephanie looking for uh, phages for a patient or people like the girl and her parents that were in Pittsburgh looking for phages and her doctors, like they have nowhere to find phages and find researchers. So, um, that's what we decided to do. And so he just made a website really quickly in a couple days and, and listed, you know, we, we started by using Twitter. We're like, Hey, phage researchers, you know, sign up on this directory if you want to help in the future. And also sign up. We had kind of like a, um, it's like a newsletter system. Basically we call it our phage alert service or system. And so you could just be on the email list and you get an email, um, from us when we have a patient in need. And then, so if you're a lab, you can be like, Oh, somebody needs club CL phages. Like, are we going to join in this phage hunt or not? And, mm-hmm. um, and so that's, that's the two parts of the first version of phage directory. The, the list and the, the alert system and people just started joining it. So I think mm-hmm. I never imagined that it would become an organization at that point. Um, I really thought Jan was kidding when he said we were going to do this at all. Like, you know, I was- <laughs> <laughs> so that, um, but you know, he said, well, I'll make the website. I'm like, okay. Like, you know, with, with the academia, we, we talk about big ideas all the time and then we do them like, within the year or like we never do them but we're always thinking about them and (laughs) there will be a point when we do them but we do not do things two days later (laughs) so that was surprising and um but it really you know we started getting requests from from doctors that had heard about this we got written about in stat news because mallory the girl who was dying she died and they like it was so sad it was a few days after we started this so it was like, what? Like we thought we were, you know, getting in here, helping, we're going to get more people to help Mallory find phages and, Mm. you know, nope, too slow. And so that I think solidified it for us. And so, and that was, yeah, we talked to the reporter who was reporting on this whole case of hers and he, he was like, you know, um, Mallory Smith, you know, she had, she almost got phages. She didn't in time, she died, but luckily there's a phage directory now. And we were like, what? <laughs> like now wow. we can't stop doing this.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: So, yeah. Um, but ever since then I finished my PhD, uh, like while I was starting this up, my PhD supervisor was very kind to <laughs> not like make me stop working on it, even though I was supposed to work on my thesis. But, um, but we got it going and we, we did a, a business accelerator through NSF National Science Foundation and they helped us like start thinking like how can we make this a sustainable organization that how can we find problems in this in this field that people will pay to solve or that we can find funding for and that's kind of like it's it's really grown since then, but the key thing we still do is um is we do organize these phage hunting uh you know phage alerts that doctors can ask us for help. And then we will send out a request to all our labs. We've got about 300 labs that get these now. And um, they respond to us really quickly. Like we'll get 10 labs saying, yep, send us the strain and they'll test the phage. And sometimes one, one girl we helped get phages, it took about six weeks all told, for the between the alert and her getting the phage so that's about you know six weeks yeah as you said it's not slow or it's not fast like antibiotics not at all but it's it's still better than nothing and it saved her Mm -hmm. leg in this case so that's what kind of stuff we we do
0: (laughs) oh my goodness that is so incredible what an amazing story I mean, Thank just you. to think that it started with Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> with Dr. Stephanie Strathy posting something. And I've read her book and it's absolutely amazing. And, I love it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just a really incredible story. And she's a great writer too. And mm-hmm. so it kind of takes you on that whole journey. And you know the outcome, but you just still – even knowing yeah. what's gonna happen, you're just like on the edge of your seat the whole time. Um, but that's so crazy that it started with that and then that Jan was someone who built websites to start communities and it's yeah. just like so amazing how that all connected and um, and and how quickly it came together too. It's absolutely yeah. amazing. I love that. What a great story. Thank you. It's so cool. And I'm really, I'm very excited to just see how this grows and, um, and just that it's already come so far. I mean, with an idea turning into something that is actually helping save people's lives or a leg. I mean, can you imagine like that's life changing? That's so, so cool. Do you have any other examples of other stories of how phage directory has Um, helped clinicians connect with researchers and actually help patients? Actually, this is
1: kind of a weird one. So most of our um, phage alerts go out for human infections, but sometimes veterinarians also Mm. say like, hey, we have an animal that has an infection that we can't treat. And so we had this one that was for a sea turtle. Mm. And there was this um, veterinarian at an aquarium and she somehow found out about us asked us like, do you have uh, citrobacter phages? Because we have a sea turtle, but its whole shell is, is infected um, with this bacteria. It's been like years and it's, the bone is like infected. So the sea turtle is not going to live much longer and we can't treat it. And so, yeah, we, we sent out an alert for that. And it was like December 31st, it was New Year's Eve. We were like, oh, nobody's going to respond to this because they're probably partying for New Year's. And that was like the most viewed tweet we've ever had. And people <laughs> shared it everywhere. So clearly, priorities, the turtle needed us. And um, and yeah, people were like, what? Oh, like, and I think that really helped get the word out about phages too. And I think more more like that, we'll keep doing that. Um, but anyway, like we, so we sent out the alert and then, a lot of our labs were like, yeah, I've got citrobacter phages. I never thought I would find a use for them because citrobacter, you know, it's, um, it's usually not a pathogen of humans. Um, I think Mm -hmm. people study it a lot because it's like the E. coli for mice. Like it's just one of those commonly, um, you know, it's, it's there and it kind of behaves like E. coli. Mm -hmm. And so you study it, you have the phages, but then you're like, oh, there's a, clinical use for these. So a lot of labs, even at, um, primarily undergraduate institutions, actually, which is super cool. um, they, they said they would help because this is typically a safe species of bug. So it's, it's one of the ones, these undergraduate institutions were using for teaching. So they, they sent us, um, well, they, they emailed us first and said, yep, send us the strain." if it can be cultured from the turtle shell, because that's always our first step is like, okay, do we have a way to culture, like is the team on the the treating team able to culture that microbial isolate and then put it in the mail, like just stick it in a tube with sure. an ice pack and like put it in the mail and send it out to wherever we tell them to send it. So that's step one. Mm-hmm. And that happened, we got a bunch of labs testing it, testing all their citrobacter phages, and then we got some hits. Um, some labs were like, nope, none of ours work. Some of them were like, yes, I have two phages that work. And, you know, mm-hmm. so um, eventually there ended up being, um, the the sea turtle got treated with phages. Like, um, it took a while, and I'm not, I think it took a few months of, uh, in this case, like, they would, you know, try, try a set of phages, and then they would you know, take the strain again and be like, oh, we need some new phages because we didn't get into this, but um, bacteria definitely do evolve resistance to phages. Um, It's not something that is just for antibiotics. Mm. Like resistance is a survival mechanism for these bacterial populations but luckily you can just take the new strain and find new phages so mm. it's much more rapid iteration on that sense whereas if you had to find a new penicillin because your you know your microbe is resistant like no it takes 10 years so um so we have that on our side and so i think that case with the sea turtle is going to come out in a, in a paper really soon this this summer. But. Um, case in point, or, you know, the sea turtle is fine. It got better. It got treated as far as I know. So I'm super excited to see kind of the details. But that was, that was an example just to illustrate like how the community comes together. And they're all doing this volunteer, like, you know, they're using research funds, taking time out of their research to do this work. And sometimes grad students are like, you know, you hear about Stephanie Strathie's, uh case with her husband, like researchers, like grad students were spending the night in the lab, like round the clock trying to do this. So wow. sometimes it's, it's just amazing to see the dedication. And, yeah. but I think researchers just, we are not used to getting to be a part of something that helps right now. Like, I think we that's so like, true. You probably felt <laughs> it's like, Oh, wh- what me? Like, no, we're, we're doing stuff that's going to help in 50 years. But yeah, like the fact that you can also have part in something right now, I think it's really, inspiring
0: people to get involved. Oh, yeah. That's so true. I mean, yeah, you you rarely get to have yeah. anything that's directly impacting a patient and actually seeing the results quickly. You kind of know that whatever you're doing is a piece of what will go into something that will help someone far in the future. But yeah, to yeah. be able to be you know, involved in something that happens and it affects somebody right away, it's amazing that that would be definitely something that would (laughs) keep you up at night and make you want to stay in the lab really late. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And I think something else you said that was really interesting is the idea of with using phage phage therapy that you have this ability to rapidly iterate and so you can quickly... Once there's um, resistance, then you can quickly test more and find a new one. And or I don't know, is it a cocktail or is it one usually? Do you have several that go into the treatment? Yeah, it it,
1: it varies. Um, And this is kind of a hot topic of research is figuring out what's the best. Like, should we be using cocktails? Because there's advantages to that for sure, like three phages at a time. Um, you could imagine if they're all targeting kind of different types of bacteria, you'll get a larger, more broad spectrum sort of treatment. It's not as broad spectrum as antibiotics, but it'll be more broad spectrum than you would with a single phage. And then there's also, uh, you know, people looking at that from a perspective of reducing resistance because you want to just like kill everything instead of, um, you know, letting them evolve resistance and, um, Hmm. And, or you can design cocktails where it's like one phage comes in and kills. Um, but then you've, you've got a second phage that's specifically in there because you know what the bacteria is going to do. It's going to evolve like to change the mm-hmm. sugar on its surface. And you have a phage that targets that new kind of sugar, mm-hmm. like that kind of cocktail design, I think is going to get popular um but it's all kind of up in the air right now like people use single phages sometimes they use a cocktail if they have multiple phages that infect the same bug they'll just throw them all in um just to you know usually if these are emergency cases it's like yeah well we're gonna opt to throw them all in instead of just one but but yeah it's like a that's that's a question in the field still and um Mm -hmm. and yeah but there's also like you know, advantages with commercializing a cocktail is probably going to make anything you can do to make it more one size fits all. I think people want to go toward the cocktail route for that, but but you get away from the precision medicine side of it, and so there's still
0: disadvantages with with that. Mm. So. so you did your PhD working on phage, but how did you originally get interested in viruses and phage? Yeah, um, well.
1: I was in school to be a veterinarian at first. (laughs) I I was just doing my Bachelor of Science, but I wanted to be a vet. And so I was like, well, I'll take some biology. we got to take biology. And I loved biology. Oops, sorry, that's me. Um, And then, okay. So I was in my first year, second year, and I took a microbiology class. And they I don't think they really taught us about phages. I think they teach phage and microbiology now, but at that time, I don't know if if we did. And, um, but I happened to find out from that class, how much I loved microbes. And um, I realized that from uh, this experiment, my professor shared about fecal transplants and mice and making a a thin mouse obese and back again with just Mm. the microbes. Like that was how I got into microbiology. And then I needed to, I guess I changed majors, decided not to be a vet. Lots of things happen, but ended up in this lab for undergraduate research because I needed to do that as part of my degree. And I was like, well, this professor is really friendly and nice. She was, uh, Christine Shamansky is her name. And she studied um, the sugars actually that microbes make. And she looked at phages from that perspective because phages, you know, often have to deal with bacterial sugars. And actually that's a very new area. You know, we think about um, DNA, proteins, um, lipids, but the carbohydrates that are part of bacteria, bacterial glycobiology, that's kind of this whole field that um, she was working on, but it was really hard to find anything that would like bind to a sugar and distinguish between sugars. Like antibodies don't do that very well. And antibodies are how, you know, we use we use them in the lab to distinguish between proteins and we, you know, they're essential for how vaccines work. But like they're, you know, sugars have evolved probably to get around antibodies um, from immune systems. Like they're what shields things in the body. So she was looking for something that would stick to a sugar, distinguish between it and help her study sugars. And so she was studying phages from that perspective. And that's how I got wind of what they were. And I was like, whoa, uh, yeah, I want this project. And she kind of said I could study whatever I wanted within what her lab did. So that's kind of the roundabout way of how I got to phage is like not from a therapeutic standpoint, but from this sugar biology standpoint. And we were going to make surrogate, we were calling them surrogate antibodies, like phage receptor binding proteins, like taking those off the phage and using them to
0: study sugars. That was kind of like the first foray. (laughs) Well, that's really interesting. It's neat. Um, so from all of your research and the work that you do, what have you learned that has kind of changed the way you think about microbes in your daily life? Yes, I think something that
1: I've learned is, you know, before I always joke about this kind of with non microbiology friends (laughs) is people think, you know, of course you become a germaphobe. If you become a microbiologist, like everyone, I don't know if you get that too, but like, like, you must be a germaphobe. And I'm like, no, for me, the opposite. Um, like totally. I'm like, Oh, I, I recognize just how many microbes there are, how they're everywhere, how they're not all bad and how, um, also like how I just I'm not as scared of like getting food poisoning in the kitchen because I'm like well it took me so long to get my cells to grow <laughs> like they're really finicky when you They're not just going to sit on a counter all day and then still make you sick. Like, I think that could be to my detriment, but that's where I go on that spectrum. I'm like, oh, like cells are like kind of divas sometimes, especially I studied campylobacter (laughs) and the campylobacter causes food poisoning. But, you know, even if you give it the wrong kind of oxygen, like, you know, too much oxygen in the air, it's like, no, I will not grow. So I'm like, (laughs) okay, we we can't, we don't have to worry so much about things that are on like the floor or in the, mm. like on the sand or like on anything dry and surfaces, like, because yeah. cells ourselves, they're not, you know, they like, they're susceptible to these forces and soap and water, you know, that'll destroy a lot of them. So I think I just kind of have a more realistic view now on like, you know, how worried I need to be. But of course, that could also go the wrong way. I can be too extreme in that sense. And sometimes Jan and I, for example, will talk about like, we'll like argue about um, anything to do with kitchen stuff. Cause I'm like, whatever. <laughs> and he's like, oh my gosh, no. <laughs> the one thing is I still very much believe chicken, raw chicken will like kill me. I'm very scared of that. Cause that's what campylobacter loves. <laughs> I'm like, what chicken? Like, they're going to love that. But, you know, <laughs> everything else, whatever.
0: So, yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> Very similarly. It's like you kind of start to see the things that you can identify as real um things to be scared of. And then other mm-hmm. stuff, where you're just like, it's not a big deal. So, yeah. um <laughs> but it do- it does take time to be yeah. able to you know, sort through those things and learn what we actually need to, you know, be more concerned about. But in the end, I'm usually just like the kitchen and the bathroom are the things that I'm most concerned about and keeping clean and washing my hands. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Simple stuff. Um, All right. So what at-home microbiology activity can you tell us about so we can experience the microbial world in a hands-on way? Uh, yes. So I uh, got some
1: crowdsourcing help for this question because you mm-hmm. had asked me to think about this and I've seen on your website that you ask all of your guests for this. So I think this is an awesome, it just, you know, led me down this very cool rabbit hole to think about because it, it was hard at first. Like, what are you going to do to grow phage on your own at home? I don't know if we can do that yet. I kind of looked around. (laughs) There's some kits available. Apparently, I got this from my lovely Twitter people who shared a lot of tips. Um, There is Mm -hmm. at least a kit I can send you the link to um, that you can order that lets you do phage plaque assay, I think. But uh, so far, I've never tried it. But the thing I was going to tell about was um, this paper uh, by Maya Breitbart and her group. It's an outreach activity for phage um, for like kids and families to do at home. And so it doesn't involve real phages, but it kind of is a cool activity where you like Um, You have like a big hula hoop and that's the Petri dish and you cut out and print off all these different little like bacteria and you place them, cut them out, put them in the hula hoop. And then you have um, some fishing rods that on the fishing rods are like what you're calling the phage. And they're kind of like superheroes. They're painted as little superheroes coming in. Um, And they have on the bottom, they've put it so that the, Um, The fishing rods have like, say, a magnet, and then there's like a corresponding magnet on some of the bacteria, um, but not all of them. And then another fishing rod will have like a pipe cleaner hook, and then some of the bacteria will have a pipe cleaner, like another, like the other side of that that will hook on. So, and then there's Velcro is like a third one. So you get the the sense that you're going to take your phage superhero and like fly in and fish for your specific corresponding microbe out of the Petri dish. Um, And only, you know, magnet will attach magnet and like pipe cleaner will attach pipe cleaner and that kind of thing. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a cool way that might be fun for people to play around with specificity of phages and how you just the concept of having like a whole bunch of microbes in a mix, phages coming in and it's very precise on what what it will take out. And then the last thing is like, they have each, I think they have each microbe like on this um, circle underneath so that when you pull the microbe out, you get a plaque, like a circle that remains. Hmm.
0: <laughs> so that's it's really like cool. I love that. So,
1: so that's, um, I think, an open access article in the, yeah in this microbiology education journal. So I think that would be cool to share if people want to play around with phages, um, until we have better and more kits that actually let you grow them. Because I think that's around the corner too. It's, it wouldn't be crazy to be mm-hmm. able to do your own plaque essay at home, but there's,
0: yeah, still some barriers to that, I would say. That is so cool. And thanks for crowdsourcing that for (laughs) the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Um, It it was fun because you tagged me in it. So then I kind of got to see people start to retweet it and like it and start giving suggestions and stuff. And it's amazing. Twitter is such a yeah, great resource to access scientists and and immediately. Okay. So obviously it worked for phage therapy. So yeah. <laughs> it's like you know you can use it for so many different things. Um we talked I talked to Matt Casson about fungi in the first mm. episode and he said, you know, you can just post a picture of a mushroom and then Somebody will come on and give you an identification. Wow. So, <laughs> it's it's really neat. If you ask for it, you know, there's plenty yeah. of people out there that know what they're, they know pretty easily, like from a picture what it is. So yeah, that. so yeah. much information out there. Um, do you have any other resources that you could share that would help us go deeper on this topic? Yes. um, I think my
1: favorite um, link to share is this video by Kurzgesagt. It's um, like they do explainer videos and the one on phage is done really well. And it was done um, in collaboration with a real phage scientist. So, you know, it's good Mm -hmm. with um, James Gurney is his name. So we'll, I guess I'll give you that link for the audience, but it's just a quick, I think 10 minute YouTube video that really it gets into how phages work and how phage therapy works, which is really cool. Um, and the other link I think is cool to share is the news story from this seven-year-old girl who whose leg we helped get phages for um, so she didn't have to get amputated. There's a story on that, which is pretty neat to see the power of phage, but also, of course, The Perfect Predator as a book to read that Stephanie Strathy wrote about finding pages for her husband. Um, and the other book I didn't mention before, but um, there's a book called Salt in My Soul, and that's by Mallory Smith, who actually was the patient that we almost could have tried to save. We tried to save her. Mm-hmm. She, she died. And she wrote this book before she died. It was It's really her journals for years. And she talks a lot about, like, Um, what it was like to have cystic fibrosis. And this was inspiration for phage directory. And so Mm -hmm. the book is really worth reading. And I think she does get into like the concept of phage in it too, because she was kind of part of that decision as well. Um, So pretty neat that that exists. And her mom got that published for her um,
0: after she died. So that's close to my heart too. Oh, wow. I didn't know about that one. That's, I'm going to have to check that out for sure. Um, and yeah, we'll link to all of those in the show notes. So that's, those are great, great resources. Thank you for all of that. Um, so where can everyone find, follow and connect with you? Yes. Um, Twitter, as we
1: said, is kind of my social media of choice. So I'm just at Jessica Satcher, my name on Twitter, but then I also do the tweeting for phage directory at phage directory. So either of those you can find me and um, definitely like, if you want to ask the phage community, some question about phage, if you tag at phage directory, I will retweet it and we'll get some phage scientists to help answer more questions. I'm sure they would happily do that. Um, and then um, mm-hmm. phage.directory is our website. So it's not .com; not.com .directory. That was Jan's cool little thing he found out right, right away at the beginning of our foray yeah. he was like there's a dot directory domain <laughs> page dot directory i love that and i was like what is a domain what like okay. <laughs> clearly i've come a long way on the whole internet <laughs> stuff <laughs> um,
0: so cool.
1: yeah so that's our website um and that's where if you are a physician or your family member is suffering from kind of uh, you know antibiotic resistance like step one, talk to your doctor, but send them to us to do a phage mm-hmm. alert, and maybe that you qualify for that. So that's also on the website phage.directory/slash/alerts. But um, that's probably plenty, I would say.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Awesome. Okay. Well, thank you. <laughs> this
1: thank you. has that's been me.
0: such a cool interview, and I just oh, so many. I, don't, I even just like an emotional roller coaster, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> there's been some really cool stories that you shared. And I learned a lot about phage and viruses from you. So I'm sure everybody else will. Um, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you, Justine. I love what you're doing with this. I love the idea of just getting people more
1: comfortable with microbes and just realizing <laughs> they're so important. They're so cool. And they're invisible, so they're even cooler.
0: (laughs) So, yeah, I'm glad that you're doing this, and thank you for having me. Okay, how cool is that interview? I mean, really, that is such crazy cool stuff. I am so excited to see the U.S. do this more, use phages more for treating bacterial infections that are not responding to antibiotics anymore. I just think this is going to change the way that we treat people and um, in the hospital and with these infections. So I'm really excited about it. And I loved having Jessica on the podcast. I hope that you enjoyed it. So (sighs) micro friends, it's been fun and I really appreciate you listening to this episode of the podcast and I would love it if you would subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And if you'd like to help others that love microbes to find the podcast, then please leave a rating and review for the show and also tell a friend. If you love this podcast, tell a friend, share it with them and um, spread the microbe love. All right. To learn more about the joyful microbe, head on over to joyfulmicrobe.com. You'll find all the show notes, the links and the resources mentioned, the cool, Um, activity, the paper that details all of that. You'll find the links there, all the books that we talked about. So go check it out and um, sign up for the newsletter. All right, microbe friends, thanks again, and I'll talk to you next time.